0: A Podcast
1: One production. Jenny Cooney has been a part of Hollywood for 30 years. Reporting on all the Aussie stars, from Hoag's to the Hemsworths, Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie, and beyond. This is Aussies in Hollywood.
0: I bet you've seen Damon Herriman in a film or TV show sometime in the past few years, even if you didn't know his name at the time. Damon recently appeared in the Stan series Perpetual Grace Limited as the son of Jackie Weaver and Ben Kingsley and also stars in season two of the upcoming David Fincher Netflix series Mindhunter with fellow Aussie Anna Torv. Now Damon has three films also coming out, the Quentin Tarantino movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he takes on the role of Charles Manson for the second time after Mindhunter, The Nightingale produced by fellow podcast guest Bruna Papandrea and Judy and Punch, starring fellow Aussie Mia Vosikowska. Damon is one of the most beloved Aussie actors I know, and I couldn't be happier for his success. So it was great to catch up with him in his West Hollywood apartment, where he filled me in on going from being a child actor to one of Hollywood's most in-demand actors today. Here's Damon. Damon Herriman, we're finally here doing a podcast Aussies in Hollywood finally yes it's uh, it's a real pl- I don't know why
1: I say finally i mean i, well, I, feel, I, be- I we've been like talking I- about it
0: all year <laughs> i've been That's true. you're on you've been That's on my true. wish list for a while because you've got such a great story and uh, and then the good thing was that... We couldn't do it because you got all these amazing roles and you couldn't talk about them. And
1: Yeah, well, the, the good thing about the timing now is that, uh, yeah, that stuff's all stuff I can talk about, so, yeah.
0: No, well, you have uh, you have Quentin Tarantino's movie coming out uh, next year. Yep. And you're in The Nightingale, Jennifer Kent's follow-up to Babadook mm-hmm. um, and Judy and Punch with Mia Wozakowska. Yep. So, I um, and you're currently in Santa Fe. Although right now we're actually in your apartment in Hollywood, but <laughs> we are. Yeah. <laughs> what's but going on in Santa Fe? In Santa
1: Fe, I'm doing a, a really, really cool cable series that I'm so excited about. It's, um, it's currently. I heard the title might change, but it's currently called Our Lady Limited, our, as in O U R Our Lady Limited. There's a church in the show called uh, Our Lady of Perpetual Grace, so it's short for that. Jackie Weaver and Ben Kingsley play my parents, which oh, is beyond wow. awesome. And uh, a wonderful American actor called Jimmy Simpson is is the lead. In a, he's in and Westworld. He's in Westworld and House of Cards and a whole bunch of stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's an incredibly well-written show. This guy, Steve Conrad, who uh, if you check him out on imdb he's done a lot of stuff in the past he's got a show on amazon called patriot at the moment but there's something about this show and the scripts that's just every single scene is uh riveting and the plot really grabs you the characters are amazing the dialogue is great it's just a joy I, i'm so so excited about it
0: great well let's go back to the beginning which is very very young for you i mean i haven't I haven't met a lot of the Aussies in Hollywood actors that actually started out as young as you did. Tell us how you got into acting, how old you were. What was your first sort of memory of TV and film when you were growing up? I was born in Adelaide in Australia. And when I was
1: three, my family moved to Alice Springs. My dad worked in an insurance company and his job um, transferred him there. And a few years into that trip, my dad started getting into doing a bit of amateur theatre. And through amateur theatre, he started doing radio commercials. And it was quite funny that you didn't even get paid for them. It was just like an honour to do radio commercials. <laughs> so they'd be like, oh, will you do one? Yes, please. Can I? Um, <laughs> and these radio ads came up for chocolates one day where that they were written for a father and son. And uh, at this point I was six or seven and my dad suggested that he and I do them and we did these these ads. We were then around that time we are going to be moving back to Adelaide and um, my dad wanted to know, you know, what, is there, what's the in to kind of get with how do you start as an actor because he just sort of figured that, that maybe that was something I, I could do. So he actually wrote a letter to Peter Weir which I still – I still um, have the letter that, that Peter Weir wrote back.
0: He wrote back? He wrote back.
1: It was like he was the most famous film director in Australia at the time obviously and my dad just wrote saying, I think my, my son has uh, potential as an actor. What should we do? We're about to move to Adelaide and he wrote back saying, go and see this agent and And I still have that letter. It's very funny. Oh, wow. And so moved to Adelaide, went and met with this agent, sent her the tapes of these radio commercials and she signed me and then I started doing some ads and things and then, Um, It was kind of maybe about a year later, maybe 18 months, that I got an audition for Crawfords and it was just a general audition but that audition led to uh, a role in the Sullivans and that kind of started things off.
0: Now for people who aren't Australian listening to this or they're very young in Australia, the Sullivans was... Sort of like our Coronation Street. Yeah, or
1: or the Waltons or, you know, it was, yeah, it was set in the 40s. It was wartime Australian family and it was a really good show for its time. Yeah, it was. So that kind of led on to a bunch of other TV work. So between 10 and 12 I was working almost more often than not um, on different, different shows. Um, How long were you on The Sullivans? Uh, all up it was about eight months. I did four months. I... Um, and uh, then they, they brought me back a year later for another four months. I mean, I think if our family had been happy to move to Melbourne, um, it would have been more of a, an ongoing thing. But I didn't really want to move. And it was that thing of being a 10-year-old and going, no, I've got my friends at school and, you know. <laughs> um, but so but – and then other, a few other jobs came up over those years. And then when I hit high school, I kind of lost interest a bit. I, I just thought um, – I, I didn't I was a bit intimidated by the idea of trying to keep up with schooling with all these new subjects and um it just sort of didn't interest me so much so I I barely acted at all during high school and it was really only when I finished high school and went well, what the hell do I do now that um that I decided to try and get back into it and that was definitely helped by my dad getting another job transfer this time to Sydney where there's obviously a lot more acting work than there so is in So it was right Adelaide. at the
0: same time yeah, he
1: he, he, he yeah. happened to get a transfer with his job um, just a little while after I finished, yeah, what would it be, maybe, maybe five months or something after I finished high school. So uh, that really reignited my interest in acting again, almost as a kind of a default because I, I, there was sort of nothing, yeah, there was sort of nothing else I could think of doing. So I was like, I guess I'll try this acting thing again that I used to do.
0: Right so when you moved to Sydney what happened next
1: um, I slowly got back into it again it was kind of you know it what maybe wasn't as easy as I expected I just thought oh well I've I've got these credits from being a kid and I'll, I'll just pick up pick it up again but I was suddenly 18 not 12 and no one particularly cared about the stuff that I'd done before so it was a pretty slow road but I, w- I was doing you know mostly guest episodes of things I did that miniseries Brides of Christ um... So, a few different bits and pieces. The first kind of cool thing that happened, I guess, when I was getting back into acting was when I was 19 and I got cast in a film called The Big Steel um, with uh, Ben Mendelsohn and one of his uh, earliest films, and um, Claudia Carvin, who uh, Australians will know, and Steve Bisley. So, it was, it was a, it was a, that was incredibly exciting for me. That was like the day I got the call saying I was in that because I'd never done a film until then. And Nadia Tass and David Parker who made The Big Steal were were kind of, they were, you know, they were so cool. They'd made this film, Malcolm, that everybody loved around that time and I just couldn't believe I was going to get to work with them and that this was my first movie, you know, Um, and it was a great experience.
0: And that's when you first became friends with Ben, right? Because I know that you, you're still good friends with Ben yeah. to this day. Absolutely, yeah. Was he yeah. experienced at that time? Did he show you the ropes or were he, you both kind of starting out? Well, I'd done all that stuff as a kid, yeah. but
1: he'd done quite a bit already. He'd done the Henderson Kids. He'd done The Year My Voice Broke. Um, so, you know, he, he, he was he was pretty experienced himself and, you know, Ben's always been. I mean, he was 21 at the time, but he was 21 going on 40. You know, <laughs> he's he's such a together, confident, um, smart guy that uh, yeah, he was he was definitely um, the the king of the roost in that in that on that job. And, and you know, it was his it was his movie.
0: Did you feel at a certain point, I'm going to do this for a living. This is it, no matter what.
1: When I finished high school, the first thing I did was I started working for that insurance company that my dad worked for. And I worked there for nine years. So from age 18 to 27, I I was doing plays uh, and doing things like the big steel and doing uh, all these other acting jobs. Um, But (laughs) I was on a day to day basis, putting on a shirt and tie and going into an insurance company. I think the reason I left that insurance company job was because I wasn't thinking of it as a job. I, I I kind of hit me. I was 27. I just turned 27, and I I just remember thinking, if I don't ever leave this place, I'm I'm going to be 50 and still be here. Like I I need to. I need to leave here and, you know, if I do want to be an actor, I need to kind of think about that. And, yes, maybe that means that occasionally it'll be a bit scary about where the next dollar's coming from or... Um, but I thought, you know, that's part of the job, really. That's part of what comes with being an actor and this kind of taking it easy and, and moseying along through life with this office job is probably not the way to go about it. So I... About a week after my 27th birthday, I quit and... um yeah, you know, thankfully things did start picking up a bit more in the way of acting work and uh, and voiceover stuff, so I was able to make make the
0: rent. So was there a period after you quit where nothing happened for a while? Were you Did you sort of second-guess yourself, like, oh, my God, what have I done? I
1: entered the green card lottery in 99 and um, I won it. And it was the first time I'd entered and I... Um, and I went, oh, okay, I guess I now have a green card. I guess I need to go to LA. And my agent in Australia at the time had just started up a, uh, a management company over here. So it kind of seemed like, well, that's kind of good timing. At the very least, I'll have a manager when I go there and I'll have a work permit. So in um, in January 2000, I sold everything that I owned, um, intending to move to America for uh, a year at least. And, um, 10 weeks later with my tail between my legs, I, I went home after one of the most depressing periods of my life. It was horrible. It was horrible. And it's nice to be able to sort of smile about it now because at the time it was just dreadful. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know anybody. I didn't really make any friends. Uh, I didn't get an agent. I didn't have one audition and my days started to just get, become this kind of groundhog day of of horrible, dark. I would, you know, i just kind of watch Ricky Lake or go and get in my car oh. and drive around the streets just for something to do because I didn't know what to do. I mean, it was pathetic really and I don't know what I thought it was going to be but... Um, I often say to Australians now when they come out here and they're like this place is great I'm like you don't uh, you got no idea how bad this place is. I mean I agree this place is great I love it now but the circumstances are so different now because if you come here as an Australian you're going to know you're going to know a bunch of people to start with and if you don't when you get here you're going to know them really quickly because of things like Australians in film and these organizations. In 2000, when I was here, uh, I I didn't know anybody, didn't meet anybody, and it was it was horrible. It was it was like you know, LA is a great place, but it can hmm. under the wrong circumstances it can feel like uh, a really cool party that you're not invited to, and uh, you know, day after day that gets a bit much.
0: So when you came back to Australia, did you rethink acting as a career, or did you just think it was a bad idea to be in LA?
1: Yeah, it was probably just that. I just thought, okay, uh, I've done the L.A. thing. That didn't work. <laughs> I have I had genuinely no intention of going back. And I then, you know, did a bit more work in Australia, did a bit of theatre. That was all going fine. Then I did the show Love My Way, which I was which really is a great stoked show to get. And a really great show for people who don't know it. It was it was kind of Australia's first uh, HBO-style quality drama, I guess. And uh um, and it was with Claudia Carvin and Ben Mendelssohn from The Big Steel, uh-huh. funnily enough, 15 years later. Um, a- and the thing that really changed everything again in terms of uh, America was uh, an audition that came along for a-, a movie called House of Wax, which was uh, an American horror movie, the Paris Hilton one. Um, <laughs> and uh, that was filming in Queensland in Australia, uh, American cast and American characters. And there was this cool kind of hick sort of inbred character in that um, uh, that uh, I got an audition for. And it was, even though I've played a lot of those since, up until that time I'd been playing a lot of just nice guys with glasses, I hadn't played anything like that until then. So got that got that audition, got that role and and uh, when I did, after I'd done that movie, that sort of changed things a bit because I realised I had an American credit all of a sudden, which is what I hadn't had on the first trip over here. And How was uh, the
0: experience of the movie, by the way, and working with uh, Paris Hilton? It was great fun and she was lovely. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you know,
1: it was she was, you know, this is 2003, and three, four, around there, and she was, you know, huge at the time and you sort of had a certain perception of what she'd be like and I, I thought she was really, really nice and smart and, um, you know, I feel like it is, to some extent she was maybe even playing the role of Paris Hilton for the public but, uh, you know, behind the scenes I thought she was really cool. So, yeah, I came, to, I came back to America for the premiere of that and uh, that's where I first got, got representation over here because I, really because I had an American credit finally. I realised that that was uh, kind of an important thing to have. You either need that or you need to be in a big Australian movie that, that, that Americans know about and if you don't have either of those things it, it, it can be tough.
0: That was 2005, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's what that's what it was, and then from so then that's on been till now, thirteen years. Yeah, from then till now, I've done, um, you know, I've spent approximately half a year uh, in America and half a year in Australia, um, and initially I was just coming out, you know, doing three month stints auditioning, and I did two two three month stints without uh, getting a job or without even getting close to a job. And again, yeah, I'm a probably a half glass empty guy. I'm very much like, ah, yeah, they're, they're, they're not interested in me. I'll just move on now. Um, so I, I, after those two trips, I said, I'm going to do one more trip. And, uh, if I don't get a job on this trip, uh, I'm not going to come back again. Cause I just thought, you know, I'll just be realistic about it. Um, and I think the second day of that trip, I got a, an audition for a a, a guest role on a show called The Unit, and I and I got that role. So that that sort of changed everything because I, 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 psychologically, I, I, I thought, okay, you you can get a job here; it's not impossible. You know, it sort of seemed like a pipe dream before.
0: Were there long periods of unemployment, or were you always doing something?
1: Uh no, lots of <laughs> lots of yo- lots of long periods of unemployment. I mean, certainly in my twenties, but I- I- in the first. Most of my 30s as well, actually. Um, Yeah, I would, you know, I would come over here and maybe do one... In three months, I would do one guest role in something. Sometimes I wouldn't do anything. Uh, Then I'd go back to Australia and, you know, I was mostly really doing voiceovers in Australia around then. I wasn't even getting that much acting work around that time. Um, But I was, you know, over here, I was sort of making slow inroads... I remember doing an episode of Cold Case, that um, crime show, that that was a really cool character. It was in the show a lot and it was um, a really fun thing. Um, I guess the sort of next thing that sort of changed was uh, when I auditioned for a pilot called Justified um, because that uh, I I ended up doing that pilot and that character, um, Dewey Crow, ended up getting... Uh, written back into about 25 more episodes over the the life of that show. And so
0: Justify was a really big show for, I mean, it's around, it's got a huge following still. It does. And Timothy Oliphant, who just gave you your Australians in Film Award not long ago was your co-star in that.
1: Yeah, and and that was a joy to work with with him and Walton Goggins and, um, you know, what a great... Great role, great writing. That whole thing was fantastic. And I that that seemed to make getting auditions for um slightly better things a little bit easier. So, you know, not long after that, um I got to do an audition for Breaking Bad that 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 I got. I mean it was just one scene, but it was Breaking Bad, so that was cool. Yeah. Um and, you know, um Jay Edgar, the Clint Eastwood movie. So there was kind of the auditions seemed to be um just for slightly better things all of a sudden.
0: Probably I would imagine for most actors the idea of finally, you know, being directed by Clint Eastwood must be a dream. Um, What was the reality? How did it happen? And what was it like?
1: It was... It was wonderful. It was. Uh, I think I had about seven days on it. Although, as these things happen often, the the, the best kind of couple of scenes that I had <laughs> aren't in the movie, but um,
0: maybe they're on the DVD extras, huh?
1: Yeah, I should check that out actually. It was. It was the whole thing was like a dream really. Um, uh, the audition came in, and I I think it was one of those things where because the character was German. Um, sometimes with American casting, they just kind of go American or foreign. And if you're, if it's a foreign role, they'll just get all the foreigners to go for the foreign role and foreign can mean South African, Australian, British, but you know, so because it was a German role, all the foreign actors got to go for that. And so I think that's how the audition came about. And, um, uh, I didn't audition with him Uh, the casting director. Actually, I remember her saying, um, Clint doesn't like to be present for any auditions, uh, because he thinks it might put people off if he's in the in the room, which is I'm sure is true. Um, so I I did I did that audition and did it a number of times, and then I was back in Australia at, for Christmas I think, and I it was ages later. I mean, you normally hear about things, especially over here, fairly quickly. It must have been six weeks later or something, and I got a call saying you got the Clint Eastwood movie, and I, I nearly fell over. I could not believe it. That was, that was definitely one of the most you know, I'd grown up watching him. I couldn't believe I was going to meet him, let alone work with him. Uh, and then the whole whole experience was lovely. It's the calmest set I've ever been on. Um, he he, you know, doesn't like people to raise their voice. He doesn't like there to be too much chatter. No one's allowed to yell. No one ever says "quiet, please" or "we're we're shooting." Or no one ever calls out things. They're all just talking to each other quietly on their headsets. And um,
0: does he I'm, yell action?
1: Well, there's a thing that Clint Eastwood never says action. He he actually did say action a few times. I, I was like, oh, I thought you, did, thought you weren't meant to say action, Clint. Um, but he he would often say things instead of it like uh, when you're ready or sometimes he would just go, okay, and that was action. Like because the, you knew it was action because there was nothing else to say. The camera, the camera and sound department all, all said their bit. And then here we go. He'd just go, okay,
0: yeah,
1: okay, I guess I'll start. It's it's actually a really great way to work because that lead up to action that normally happens is like the start of, you know, an Olympic race, the way that they carry on. It's kind of the worst possible way to keep an actor relaxed is to go through that, you like, know. Ready, set, go. Roll camera, you know, with the sound and action. But he, he just makes the feeling of acting... Um, not feel separate from the feeling of not acting. So the bit just before you're acting feels exactly the same as the bit when you're actually doing the scene.
0: What did you learn from that experience? Did you learn something from him or...? Well, interestingly, he barely gives any direction
1: Um, and I'd I'd heard that and and it's absolutely true. Uh, I think the only time I heard him direct anyone the whole time was he said to an actor, do that a bit uh, louder, I think. But, yeah, he really... It's so. I guess one thing that you know comes out of that is you can. There are great directors who give a lot of direction, a lot of notes, and you've got him at the other end of the spectrum who is a, you know has some has made some of the great movies, and uh, he he just, I guess his idea of directing is casting, casting someone and then letting them do yes. it. And there's a really so nice. He,
0: he he feels that. Once he's chosen the person, that was the hardest part of the job right. and then he then he just lets them do what he chose them to do. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think
1: there's something, there's definitely something to that. I mean, certainly when it's someone like him and it's someone like me, you know, just like rocking up going, I am terrified I'm going to be working with Clint Eastwood, the fact that I didn't get any notes, uh, the fact that he doesn't do that uh, was actually a good thing for me because... I would have been constantly going, okay, what was that note? What was that note? Don't, don't, don't disappoint, Lynn <laughs> Eastwood. What was that note? <laughs> so the fact that you left to your own devices actually made me a lot more relaxed, I think.
0: Wow. So who are some of the other great directors? We'll get to Tarantino in a bit. <laughs> but who are the other great directors you've worked with and who have you learned the most from, do you think, in, in your time in Hollywood?
1: Oh boy! Um, well, the first job that I did was um, with David Mamet. That that very first guest role that I ever got. Wow. So that was that was incredibly, incredibly exciting uh, for me. Um, let me think. Who else have I worked with? Um, I worked with Steven Soderbergh briefly. Uh, worked with uh, Gore Vabinsky on um, mm,
0: on Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger.
1: Um, so how
0: was Lone Ranger? That was that was fun. It
1: was such a small role. It was it was it, it, there wasn't really anything to do. It was essentially just wife playing one of the bad guys in the gang. I think I said about two lines in the whole movie. Um, <laughs> Uh, and and there was extremely uh, heavy makeup, prosthetic stuff to to to, to make everybody look horrific. Um, <laughs> so that job was quite tough because it was you know as jobs go, uh, um, as acting jobs go. Anyway, um, in that there was a lot of time spent in the makeup chair and then a lot of time spent in the in the beating desert sun out in the middle of uh, Arizona and so forth. Uh, but it was fun being on something that you know that big. It was a yeah, you know, big, uh, big, big movie.
0: Did you guys all hang out a lot? Did, did Johnny Depp and Army Hammer were they kind of around as well? Or uh, Army Army.
1: Um I had actually met on Jay Edgar, so it was it was he, he was around a bit, and he's a lovely guy. Um, Johnny Depp, I didn't meet once. Um, <laughs> but I think he uh, he keeps to himself. <laughs> I'll have to think on the what have I learnt most. I've I've, I've avoided that question because I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm, I've learnt so <laughs> much. <laughs> trying to think of something to 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 narrow it down to. Um, uh, I mean, certainly one of the things I kind of touched on before that I didn't know when I first came here was that having something for them over here to get excited about you uh, is important. And, and, and whether that's an Australian movie that they know and love, whether that's an American credit that you have or whether that it's just that you're, you know, you look like Chris Hemsworth or something that, that that'll, that'll, that'll help too. You know, I mean, that guy's a great actor, but he also looks amazing. And uh, you know, you walk into a room looking like that, you're, you're going to have people take interest, but that if you don't have any of those things going for you, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen here. It just means that you may have a long, hard slog ahead of you and need a bit of luck thrown in there.
0: After Lone Ranger, you went back to Australia and did In Excess Terrace Apart. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a very successful miniseries about Michael Hutchins and the band. Yeah, you played the manager of the band, right, Chris? Yes. um Chris Murphy. Chris Murphy, yeah. So it's funny because you did that, and then you did you had let, you were directed by Russell in The Water Diviner, right? Yes, yes. So you kind of went back off into the Aussie side. For yeah, a while. there was
1: a, there was a chunk there around uh, around that time where yeah I did this Australian film, A Hundred Bloody Acres, and The Water Diviner. I right? did a. Sketch comedy for show for the ABC and uh, and the NXS thing and yeah that was all um, that was all around that time and how was working with Russell. I loved it. I loved it. I mean it was only a day or two um, and uh, we'd met on Brides of Christ years ago, nineteen ninety.
0: That's right. And Kim Wilson was in that. That's too, right. Wasn't she? That's yeah. right.
1: Um, we both sort of played. Different boyfriends of hers in that in that uh, episode, <laughs> uh, so um, I'd sort of met him then when he'd uh, I th- I think he might have done, uh, gee he might have done a movie or two, but he certainly wasn't anywhere near as uh, big a, a movie star as he was about to become. Um, so it was yeah great watching his career over the last uh, sort of whatever many years that was, and then and then getting to work with him um, as a director, and he's a he's a terrific director. He really. Uh, He, 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 um, yeah, I've enjoyed that a lot.
0: So do you sort of look at the locations and the country involved when you're, because you you do work in, you know, you go back to Australia often now Mm -hmm. and work and then you come here and you work. So how do you, do you just... Look at all the offers. <laughs> like like well, I'm assuming there are more than one it, at a time. All but, the know, offers, Jenny. You know, come all on. All the offers. Um, you know, you must have more choices these days. I'm kind of interested in how you make your choices. <laughs> let's, call, let's say all is the director, offer. Okay. All the <laughs> offer. Let's keep it singular. All the, look at all the <laughs> offer. Um, is it script? Is uh, it director? Is it oh, yeah, it's country? Is it?
1: It's definitely not the country uh, not at the forefront, no, no, definitely um, all those other things, the script, the role, the director, the other actors, they all come into it. I mean, I think the the ultimately the, the one that just really grabs you for me is the role and the script. I kind of would say they're equal. Um, so if it's a great role, well-written in a well-written script, then that's, that's always exciting. Uh, and then you, you know... On top of that, who's directing it? Who else do you get to work with? But whether it's in Australia or here, n- not, hasn't really made that much of a difference. So I, I tend to just go wherever the, the the next job happens to be. That that's something that's interesting. And if I'm not, if I don't have any uh, jobs coming up, then I tend to go where I haven't been for a while.
0: I remember we—you um, were around a lot when you did press for Flesh and Bone, and that was a great. Uh, that, that I think got a Golden Globe nomination. It did.
1: I think, um, yeah. Sarah, the, the the lead actress, got nominated. Yeah. yeah. So
0: that was um, that was a really high profile show. Do, do, do things that do well in America? Did they make a difference in terms of the stuff that doors that open for you, or?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so. It depends what it is, you know. Flesh and Bone was a really cool show. Um, Australian David Michaud directed the the first episode. Um, it was, you know, really high production values. Shot in New York, it was a great thing to to work on. It didn't sort of end up, you know, there were definitely a lot of people who who saw it and loved it, but it didn't end up popping in a big way. So I that that and I was playing a homeless guy in that who didn't, you know, who didn't even look like me really um so it was a
0: great transformation um, it must have been kind of fun to
1: it was great fun I mean I was riding my bike to work in Manhattan every day you know it was just it was a dream job I'd always dreamed of oh imagine working in New York that would be incredible and yeah that that job that job uh, really made made that happen um but yeah that that one in particular probably didn't lead on to a lot more just because you know the the, the again, it's that weird perception thing, you know, like one scene in Breaking Bad probably got me more work than ten episodes of Flesh and Bone.
0: One thing I love about your career is that you, no one could ever say you were typecast, no one could ever say you were put into a, you know, a category. You've really been able to play just about anything. Does that feel like that to you or what do you feel like the perception is of you as an actor and how do you feel about um the choices you get.
1: <clears throat> I love getting to play characters that are different from me and different from each other. That to me is the most exciting thing. When when I read something that uh, I, I'm going for or whatever and it's a really cool character that I've never played before, that really presses my buttons. I really love it. Uh, I don't know what the perception of me is in that regard, but I, I know that, yeah, if you're... If you're looking to cast some romantic lead, you're not going to be calling me, I don't think. Um, But but that doesn't bother me at all. I I think the other roles are so much fun and, uh, yeah, I I wouldn't change it at all.
0: So you did, um, you were cast as Charles Manson in Mindhunter. I think actually there was a point where I met you when you were in the middle of that audition and it was down to you and one other guy. Right. And that was the last time we talked (laughs) and then it was like, oh, my God, you're. You got the role. Right. Um, what was what was that process like? The first time you played, it's funny saying, the first time you played Charles Manson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk yeah. about typecasting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know.
1: Yeah. If I wasn't typecast before, um, it's all about to change. Uh, initially I think uh, I did a self-tape in October last year. It was one of those ones that I read and was like, oh, I really, really, really want to do everything I can to try and get this, to, to get to play a, a role like that. I knew that they were only seeing actors under five foot six, although I'm slightly taller than that, like only... Very slightly. but I, so I knew that I was already in a category of <laughs> short guys. So I, I, that was a positive thing. I thought, well, okay, well that that narrows down Finally. the competition a little bit. And I thought, you know, I think my face could probably be made to look like his. I didn't ever. But you never how asked
0: much. that question before. No, no.
1: <laughs> so I, got, I went and bought a wig um, for the for the self tape because I thought I want to I want to at least give a suggestion of his long dark hair did that self-tape then I got a a call back in the in the room with the casting director did it again and then got some notes from David Fincher whose show it is and did another self-tape and so that all took place over about three months and then in January this year I found out I got the role uh but but wasn't going to be shooting it till July which is very very unusual normally with TV in America you you get a role and about four days later you're filming it so um but it was great. It meant that I had from, from January to July to um, read and watch everything Charles Manson.
0: Is he a big part of this season of Mindhunter? Because I know the show is about the group of detectives who, and Anna Torv's character mm-hmm. who is on the the mind side of things who try and they discover serial killers and yes. realise that there are patterns mm-hmm. and all of that. So I'm assuming he comes into that. Yeah, that I think that falls into the I'm not allowed to tell you that bit, Jenny. I'm sorry, I
1: know that's boring, <laughs> but uh I don't want
0: uh don't you know what david, david Fincher... David Fincher
1: uh, <laughs> David Fincher. Was he
0: there on set? He you worked? Was, did you work with him? How was, was that?
1: He was lovely. Uh, Talk
0: about all these directors. You keep forgetting all the <laughs> yeah, big, you know, Brian yeah, Singer yeah. and, I mean, you've worked
1: with oh, yeah, the um, Singer. Um, Andrew Dominic actually directed the Mindhunter um, oh. stuff that I did. Um,
0: Andrew Dominic, another Aussie great director. Wonderful
1: Aussie director who directed uh, Chopper and uh, Jesse James and um, you're Killing Them Softly He's incredible, incredible uh, talent. Uh, so he directed the episode but David Fincher was there probably – 60 70 percent of the time and he was lovely he was um he was an incredibly uh friendly open generous guy I was you know I just again these pinch yourself moments where you just think about all the David Fincher movies you've seen and there you are just the two of you on set just having a, a chat in a break you know and yeah. It's, it's So it is a good weird.
0: thing, sounds like, when you get to all these roles that you've just been telling me about that you don't stay in character a lot. Oh dear, yes. I mean, yes, how yes, was yes. how long were you in the Charles Manson mode for that one? Um, it was only a few days. But yeah, I, I
1: as I said, I I don't not only don't stay in character at the end of the day, I I don't really stay in character after they say cut at the end of each take. You know, I'm very much uh Talking like this as myself, yeah. right up to right up to action. Um, that's just sort of the how it works for me. But uh, you know, there's obviously something to it. Daniel Day-Lewis stays in character, and he's about as good as it gets. So <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I no, I'm not going to start doing that that's
0: just, <laughs> Not with these yeah, roles. Yeah, but for every Daniel Day-Lewis, <laughs> there's another great actor who does it the way you do it. Right, so, right. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, no, he, he was really great, and he was, you know, um, he'd he'd only just found out, um. Uh, I think two weeks before I was going to shoot uh, *Mine Hunter*, that I was playing Charles Madsen in the Tarantino movie, um, and uh, he was—I uh, mean, it never actually came up on set or anything, but uh, I don't know if whether that would have been the best news from his perspective to think that the guy you'd cast as Charles Manson six months earlier was now going to be playing it again in a, in a movie. But he was uh, certainly incredibly gracious to me and, uh, l- yeah, really lovely guy.
0: So what was the timing? I mean, was it a total coincidence or did somebody hear that you were playing him somewhere else and thought well, um, Quentin should know about qu- it?
1: It was kind of like that. But Quentin Tarantino, when, when when I got the role, he never knew that I was already doing it until I I got the role. Um, so essentially uh, Nicholas Hammond, who's an Australian, or oh, American actor actually, people would know him as the oldest son in The Sound of Music in the film.
0: Oh, yeah. He's,
1: uh, he's a friend from years ago. He played my dad when I was about uh, 22 uh, in a play and um, – He has a small role in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He had heard that I was playing Manson and assumed it was that. And emailed me saying, are we going to be working together? And I said, oh, no, 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 you're thinking of uh, wrong Manson, different Manson. And then he went into work and said, um, unbeknownst to me, said to the producer, have you cast Manson yet? I've got a suggestion for you. And she wrote down my name. At that point... (laughs) all these things that had to happen for this role to come together at that point timothy oliphant from justified was walking past saw my name written down and went oh i know him what's why you've written that down and 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 uh she said oh uh, um nicholas was saying um that we should see him for manson and he went oh that's a good idea i'll go and talk to quentin so he went and talked to quentin tarantino and said oh you know the guy who plays dewey crow and justified you should get him in for manson and uh Quentin Tarantino said, "Sure." And uh, next thing I knew, I had a self tape. They said, "We can't, uh, we can't email it to you. We'll have to post it to you on paper." So, about three days later, I get this paper in the mail, and I'm like,
0: "Oh my goodness, it's Charles Manson again!" Um, what are the chances? Um, well so you didn't know you didn't know what it was until you actually got the piece of paper? They in wouldn't the mail? tell
1: me. I had a pretty good idea because I knew that uh, at that point, I knew that Timothy had said, uh, "Sorry that." Nicholas and Timmy, yeah. Yeah. They both said something. And my first thought was, well, this is awesome, but what a shame that I'm never gonna really have a shot at this because I'm already playing it. So I did a self-tape for it. I flew to LA to do the first makeup test on Mindhunter playing Charles Manson. And the day after that, I got a call saying, You got the, the Tarantino movie. And wow. uh, and I was thrilled and then I just my heart sank because I thought, well, now you're gonna tell him I'm already doing it, and he's gonna say, uh, we'll get someone else. But they called and told him I was doing it, and he didn't mind. So it all it all came together, and I ended up. I think at one point it was yeah, two weeks apart. I was playing Manson on two different things, and eleven year eleven year age gap as well. So it was kind of a different different Manson in each one.
0: Wow, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, you didn't get to keep the same wig and the same no, outfit, and then just head off to
1: the other set. That did cross my mind at one point. I thought they should just, uh, you know, sort of share resources. And, uh, but no, um, no. The uh, the makeup on uh, on Mind was quite extensive. They got this um, uh, Japanese makeup artist Kazu, who's the best. I mean he he did Gary he won the Oscar for Gary Oldman's oh, right. uh, uh, Churchill makeup. Um, so they really did a, a quite extensive prosthetics and, and stuff.
0: And what age was Manson in Mindhunter? In
1: Mindhunter he's uh, 45 and in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood he's 34.
0: Oh, okay. So you're you're too modest to tell the story, but when I was at the AIF awards, Timothy gave you your award and he told the story of a little bit of the background of how his version of going up to Quentin and Mm. suggesting your name, then Quentin asking him to sit down and watch your audition and then they watched it a second time and he said, you know, Quentin Tarantino's a pretty busy guy but he was so blown away he watched it twice and then he said to me, I could shoot this right now. I mean, that must have been a pretty great feeling to know that somebody like Quentin got you as an actor and was so impressed.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I can't really even put it into words. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, t- to hear something like that, it just sort of makes, it's almost like, you know, <laughs> your life flashing before you, it's like your career flashing before you, and you start thinking about all the times you, you didn't get something or all the rooms you couldn't get in for an audition or that that director who I um, I just admire so much has said such a lovely thing, it, it's a nice feeling, that's for sure.
0: So then you finally, that this is when we were going to do the podcast, was the week that you were going yeah, to shoot that. So we right. decided we'd better put it off. Well, because at the time, yeah, I said, yeah, you I'm weren't not going to able say to talk anything, about any yeah. of this.
1: I'm not even allowed <laughs> to say I'm doing it. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah.
0: So so what was the experience like after all of that of being directed by Quentin Tarantino?
1: It was awesome. It was it was, uh some of the most fun
0: I've ever had on a job. I hear he has a very particular style—the way he directs a movie with shots at the end of, at the end of. Uh... Yeah, when the, when there's a hundred, he
1: he still shoots on film, which is very rare these days. And every hundred rolls of film, they uh, bring out you know uh, drinks and snacks, and everyone has a, like a little party for 25 minutes. And you're just like, who's who's pay-? everyone's on the clock? Who's paying for this? Um, yeah, it was. Being in a Quentin Tarantino film was sort of like watching one. It was you just got that kind of excited feeling where everything looks cool and the you know the design is so great. Of course, this is set in 1969, and that's just such a great period for him to be making a film. And everything just feels so right. He's constantly a ball of energy and enthusiasm and knows exactly what he wants. They said that he's pretty much cut the film in his head before he even shoots it, and you really get that sense. He doesn't waste any shots. He doesn't do unnecessary coverage or um, he doesn't even... If he knows that a particular part of a a, a scene is what this shot's going to be used for, unlike most directors who would just go, well, let's just shoot the scene again with this shot, he'll just shoot the three lines for the shot because he knows that's the bit he wants. Uh, yeah, I I loved I loved working with him, and I loved getting to say his dialogue. It, it, you know, it's not it's not often that you get dialogue where uh, it feels like the acting is written into it for you, and you kind of feel like <laughs> if I just say this, the acting's in the work. Like it's just the yeah. hand, the dialogue is so good, um, and that's what it felt like doing doing that. It was uh, yeah, a definite highlight.
0: I mean, when I heard the cast, it was sort of like, wow. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and then our own Margot Robbie. Did yeah. you know Margot before?
1: I knew Margot a little. I knew her to say hi to, but I didn't know her well. But we we, we got to work together in the in the film and, and, and hang out. And um, my goodness, could you meet someone nicer? I mean, she's got to be one of, if not the nicest... Uh, well, Hugh Jackman can be the guy version and she can be the female version, you know. like She is just... Uh, yeah, just an absolute sweetheart. Um, just a super smart, super talented, super lovely person, and uh, you know, completely unaffected by the incredible success. And uh, yeah, I
0: Good think I think that's gen- a general trait in Aussies, from what you see, that none of them take take it all too seriously or think too much of themselves. Maybe right. it's that tall poppy thing mm-hmm. that kind of happens when people knock you down back home. But Well, there is
1: that thing and, and certainly you, 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 your old friends back home and your family won't let you get away with that most of the time too. You know, you can't suddenly get too big for your boots because they tell you to knock it off.
0: I always ask everybody in this podcast the one question in common because everybody has a theory and they're always different about... Being from such a small country, why do you have any theories on why so many Australians have been so successful, not just in front of the camera but behind the camera as well? You know, per, per capita I think we have more Aussies who've done well in this business. Mm. I mean, do you think there's a specific thing about Australians that explains it or is it just an anomaly?
1: There's a thing in Australia of of not being fraudulent, of not being fake you know of being if someone seems to be putting on airs and graces or seems to be putting forward a um, a plastic version of themselves people see through it so you don't really get away with it so maybe there's something to do with that not being fake and not being fraudulent that works with acting because acting is all about not being fake and not being fraudulent so maybe there's something maybe there's something to that
0: and we work hard too, Aussies. Yeah. They are not afraid of hard work, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's and there's probably you know maybe
1: uh, less vanity in Australia. I mean, not to say there's not vanity. We definitely have it, but I don't know. I think you know um, that thing of if you need to look terrible for something, if it's I think that there's or be or if you need to be uncomfortable, you know. In, in I, I just think that there's something about kind of going, yeah, look, whatever will make it good, let's let's do that. Um, and uh, look, that exists here too. So I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, very, it's a very hard one to pinpoint.
0: Well, when I heard the title for um, Judy and Punch, obviously I was thinking of Punch and Judy and most people listening would have some idea that that was a, outrageously politically incorrect now that you think about a puppet show about a guy beating the crap out of his wife. Mm -hmm. Um, And for Americans, I
1: don't think you guys were brought up on Punch and Judy, but in England and Australia and certainly Commonwealth countries, yeah, it was a a, sort of a weird little hand puppet show uh, that was more popular probably decades ago than it is now, but it still exists.
0: Wow. And so is this sort of a... I mean, t- tell me how this relates well, to that it's, title. It's
1: essentially, uh, Mira, uh, the genius that she is, came up with this uh, this film where essentially Punch and Judy, the puppets, are. it's basically an invented history. So it's as if Punch and Judy, the puppets, were a real couple in real life who happened to have a puppet show called The Punch and Judy Show. Um, so they have puppets of themselves and uh, the puppet show is... You know, is the one that people know uh, with the you know this husband and wife and the baby and the beating each other up and talking in gibberish and in the in the film that also reflects the real life relationship where Punch is a uh, an alcoholic and a, a a very violent one at that. And, oh, um, Damon, you no, just can't you,
0: help yourself, tell, can yeah, you?
1: <laughs> I'd say I'm playing a nice guy in the show with Jackie and, and Ben <laughs> Kingsley, so I'm uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm circling back around. I'm <laughs> circling back around. Look, the the tone of this film is is a really interesting one. It's it, it's got a a lot of shock elements in it, but it's also very funny. It's it's almost like a I think you'd call it like a dark fairy tale. The design and photography are beautiful, mm. and I'm I'm really really Excited about it because the script was just so good.
0: Did you know Jackie Weaver before uh, you started working on this? Uh, it's a, is it a limited series or a series? It's a
1: uh, series.
0: Yeah, series. it's intended okay. to go on. I did. I met Jackie when I was ten. In
1: fact, I have a, a oh, photo with Jackie. Yeah. You
0: know what? You showed me that oh, showed photo. That? Yeah. Yeah. And um, when this comes out, I'm going to tell everybody to look on my Twitter and okay. I'll post a copy of it so okay. they can see <laughs> yeah
1: so that was that photo was taken backstage at a, a, a show that Jackie was doing called they're playing our song which she and John Waters Australian or British then Australian actor uh were doing in uh, in in Melbourne at the time when I was doing the Sullivans and I was working with John Waters so I was going to see him in it and that's how I met her and over the years we've run into each other uh, many times uh but I don't think We've worked on the same project, uh but we've never worked in scenes together so
0: so what's it like having her be your t v mum?
1: Oh, she's the best. I mean it's just great having her in you know we're shooting in Santa Fe, which is a small small city in new mexico and uh and sh- just having her around is awesome we go to movies and dinners and uh yeah, she's um just just the loveliest you know.
0: And Sir Ben, Mm -hmm. as we call, as he, I think he likes people to call him, Sir Ben Kingsley, um, what is he like?
1: He has been lovely. I haven't had that much to do with him as yet, but um, uh, word on the street is that uh, he's just an absolute pro and uh, he turns up fully prepared and he's, um, uh, yeah, you know, he's funny and uh, just really sweet guy. Everyone's enjoying having him there and, as you would expect, he's, amazing in the show
0: well you mentioned he they play your parents is it a period piece can you tell us a little bit about what to expect
1: um it's not a period piece uh but it does have quite a lot of flashbacks to the past um it's it's an intriguing page turner of a script um Steve Conrad who created it is quite amazing it's like a bit of Cohen brothers with a bit of Tarantino, a bit of, with a bit of something else. I don't. It, it's it's right on the cusp of comedy and drama. I'm not even sure what category it would fit into in uh, in that regard. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's just,
0: called a drama on IMDb, just it, so you know, <laughs> is it? Yeah. Look, I think. It but that would, doesn't mean sometimes anything.
1: they just do that because it's an hour, not half an hour, right? Um, so it is an hour, uh, but it's a very funny drama and and slightly absurd at times uh it's um
0: are you the grifter in it or no that's, the one Jimmy, who gets-
1: that's Jimmy Simpson but he 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 he's he comes across my character and um my character uh enlists him in a scheme to uh to rip off my parents um who are a couple of uh evangelists who who uh, bring in quite a lot of money uh, to their church. Ah. Uh, but there are quite a lot of story strands, a lot of characters. It's very – it's really uh, the sort of thing where you'll get to the end of each episode going, oh, what happens next? It's got a lot of twists. It's really good.
0: Is there anything or anyone to work with that's still on your bucket list? Like where what do you, where do you see yourself? What do you want to do next if it was up to you?
1: I mean, I, goodness – I'm, I'm just uh, at the moment uh, taking each day as it comes and really, really grateful. Uh, you know, something I said in that uh, that speech at the uh, uh, um, Australians in Film Awards was that I do feel incredibly lucky. I think good fortune really comes into play uh, a lot. And at the moment I feel so lucky, especially this year. Um, and I, you know, I hope it keeps going like this. I, I, I know that it may and I know that it may not. And I'll be disappointed if it doesn't, but I'll also be like, well, that, gee, 2018 was awesome. You know, even if that's as good as it gets, I know that f- from, from having so many years where it's not like 2018, I, uh, I know how rare and lucky I am to have had that year. So if that's as good as it gets, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to go to my grave a happy chap.
0: There'll probably be a lot of um, young uh, aspiring actors listening to this. Is there any advice that you got or that you would give that you think they should hear that could have saved you some, I don't know what?
1: (laughs) Uh, You know, I think just uh, keep your feet on the ground, Um, you know. um, We're all doing a job and all the people you're working with on the crew and all that are all doing a job. We're all trying to get towards the same thing, which is make something that's good. So you know, don't don't get too big for your boots. I think is the is the best advice. Certainly, a, an important piece of advice for anyone doing this job because you do get sometimes treated very well, and uh, you kind of um, if you get too used to that, it can uh, you know some people get affected by it. And I think just just be just always remember that uh, everyone's there to to do their best and have a good time and be nice to people.
0: Probably the great thing about going between America and Australia is that if you forget that and you go and work in a movie in Australia... They bring you right back to like, get out, you're not in front of the line for the food. That's right,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to go get you coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, you find out quick smart what it, uh, what it used to be like. That's right.
0: <laughs> well, I'm so excited that we got to chat and there's so many great things we're all looking forward to seeing you in. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. Thank you so much, Jenny. It's my pleasure. What Damon didn't know when we spoke was that Tarantino had to make a lot of cuts to the final version of the film, including, sadly, some of his best scenes. So be sure to look out for the DVD extras and check out the rest. I think every Aussie who knows or has worked with Damon is thrilled he's having such a great year, and I hope it continues for him every year. Until next time, that's all from Aussies in Hollywood. Aussies in Hollywood was presented by me, Jenny Cooney, and recorded in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production was by Nick Slater, and executive producer was Jenny Goggin. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the app, or look me up on iTunes.